Book eleven, part one of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. The Memoirs of Chateaubriand, volume four by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Translated by Alexander Texera de Matos. Book eleven, part one. We pass to the embassy to Rome, to Italy, the dream of my life before continuing my story i must speak of a woman of whom we shall not lose sight again till the end of these memoirs a correspondence is about to open between us from rome to paris it is necessary therefore to know to whom i am writing how and at what period i became acquainted with madame recamier she met in the different ranks of society persons more or less celebrated engaged upon the stage of the world all offered her their worship her beauty mingles its ideal existence with the material facts of our history a placid light illuminating a stormy picture let us resume once more the consideration of times gone by let us endeavour by the light of my setting sun to trace a portrait on the sky where my night which approaches will soon spread its shadows a letter published in the mercure after my return to france in eighteen hundred had attracted the attention of madame de stael i was not yet struck off the list of emigrants Atala drew me from my obscurity. Madame Bacciocchi, Elisa Bonaparte, at the request of Monsieur de Fontaine, applied for and obtained my erasure. Madame de Stael had interested herself in this matter. I went to thank her. I cannot remember if it was Christian de Lamoignon or the author of Corinne who introduced me to Madame Recamier, her friend. The latter was then living at a house in the Rue du Mont Blanc. On emerging from my woods and the obscurity of my life, I was still quite timid. I scarce dared lift my eyes to a woman surrounded by adorers. One morning, about a month later, I was at Madame de Stael's. She had received me at her toilet. She let Mademoiselle Olive dress her, while she talked, twisting a little green branch between her fingers. Entered suddenly Madame Recamier, dressed in a white gown. She sat down in the middle of a sofa covered in blue silk. Madame de Stael, remaining standing, continued her very animated conversation and talked eloquently. I hardly answered, my eyes fixed on Madame Recamier. I had never imagined anything like her, and was more than ever discouraged. My admiration changed into ill-humour against my person. Madame Recamier went out, and I did not see her again till twelve years later. Twelve years! What adverse power thus cuts and fritters away our days, squandering them ironically on all the indifferences called attachments, on all the miseries styled felicities, then, by a further derision, when it has blighted and spent the most precious part it brings you back to the starting point of your career and how does it bring you back with your mind possessed with the foreign ideas the importunate phantoms the deluded or incomplete feelings of a world which has left you no happiness those ideas those phantoms those feelings place themselves between you and the bliss which you might still enjoy you return with your heart sick with regret afflicted by those errors of youth so painful to the memory in the modesty of years that is how i returned after having been to rome to syria after seeing an empire go by after becoming the man of noise after ceasing to be the man of silence what had madame recamier done what had been her life i have not known the greater portion of the existence at once brilliant and retired of which i am about to talk to you i am obliged therefore to betake myself to authorities other than mine but they shall be unexceptionable. First, Madame Recamier has described to me facts which she has witnessed, and communicated to me valuable letters. She has written, on what she has seen, notes of which she has permitted me to consult the text and, too rarely, to quote it. Next, Madame de Stael, in her correspondence, Benjamin Constant, in his recollections, some printed, the others in manuscript, Monsieur Ballanche, in a notice on our common friend, Madame la Duchesse d'Abrantes, in her sketches, Madame de Genlis, in hers, have furnished abundant materials for my narrative. I have only knotted all these fine names together, filling up the gaps with my own statement, when some links of the chain of events were overlooked or broken. Montaigne says that men go gaping after future things. I have the passion for gaping after past things. All is pleasure, particularly when we turn our eyes to the early years of those we love. We spin out a cherished life, we extend the affection which we feel over days which we never knew and which we revive. We adorn that which was with that which is. We recompose youthfulness. At Lyon, I have seen the Jardin des Plantes laid down on the ruins of the ancient amphitheatre, 
and in the gardens of the old abbe de la Déserte, now pulled down, the Rhone and the Saône flow at its feet. Far away rises the highest mountain in Europe, and the first milepost of Italy, with its white board above the clouds. Madame Recamier was placed in this abbey. She there passed her childhood behind a grill, which opened upon the outer church only at the elevation of the mass. Then one saw young girls bowing down in the inner chapel of the convent. The saint's day of the abbess was the principal festival of the community. The prettiest boarder paid the customary compliment. Her dress was arranged, her hair plaited, her head veiled and crowned by the hands of her playmates, and all this in silence, for the hour of rising was one of those which were called grand silence in the monasteries. It goes without saying that Juliette had the honours of the day. Her father and mother, having settled in Paris, sent to fetch their child. From some rough drafts written by Madame Recamier, I gather this note. On the eve of the day on which my aunt was to come to fetch me, I was taken to the room of Madame the Abbess to receive her blessing. The next day, bathed in tears, I went out through the door, which I did not remember seeing open to admit me, found myself in a carriage with my aunt, and we drove off for Paris. I leave with regret a time so calm and so pure to enter upon that of excitement. It often comes back to me as in a vague sweet dream, with its clouds of incense, its numberless ceremonies, its processions in the gardens, its singing, and its flowers. Those hours which have left a pious desert now rest in another religious solitude, without having lost anything of their freshness and their harmony. Benjamin Constant, the wittiest man after Voltaire, strives to give an idea of Madame Recamier's early youth. He has drawn from the model whose features he aimed at tracing a grace which was not natural to him. Among the women of our time, he says, whom advantages of feature, mind, or character have rendered famous, there is one whom I wish to depict. Her beauty made her admired at first, her soul next made itself known, and her soul appeared even superior to her beauty. The habit of society supplied her mind with the means to display itself, and her mind remained below neither her beauty nor her soul. At the age of barely fifteen, married to a man who, occupied by an immense amount of business, could not guide her extreme youthfulness, Madame Recamier found herself left almost entirely to herself in a country which was still in a state of chaos. Several women of the same period have filled Europe with their diverse fames. The majority have paid tribute to their century, some through indelicate loves, others by guilty condescensions towards the successive tyrannies. She whom I am describing emerged radiant and pure, from that atmosphere which blighted all that it did not corrupt. Childhood was at first a safeguard for her, thanks to the author of this beautiful work, who made everything turn to her advantage. Far removed from the world, in a solitude beautified by the arts, she formed for herself a gentle occupation out of all those attractive and poetic studies which remain the charm of another age. Often also, surrounded by young companions, she indulged with them in clamorous sports, slender and light of foot she outstripped them in the race she covered with a bandage her eyes which were one day to penetrate every soul her glance to-day so expressive and so profound which seems to us to reveal mysteries unknown to herself sparkled then only with a lively and playful gaiety her beautiful hair which cannot become undone without filling us with perturbation then fell without danger to any over her white shoulders laughter loud and long often interrupted her childish conversation but already one could perceive in her that nice and quick observation which seizes upon the ridiculous that gentle malice which is amused by it without ever wounding and particularly that exquisite sentiment of eloquence purity and good taste a real inborn nobility the titles to which are stamped upon privileged beings the great world of that time was too uncongenial to her nature that she should not prefer retirement she was never seen in the houses open to all comers the only meeting-places possible when every close company was suspected where all classes rushed because there they could talk and say nothing meet and not be compromised where ill-manners took the place of wit and disorder of gaiety she was never seen at the court of the directory where the power was at once terrible and familiar inspiring dread without escaping contempt however madame recamier sometimes issued from her retreat to go to the play or to the public walks and in those places frequented by all her rare appearances were real events Every other object of those vast assemblies was forgotten, and all flung themselves in her way. The man fortunate enough to escort her had to overcome admiration as it were an obstacle. His steps were at every moment delayed by the onlookers crowding around her. She delighted in this success with the gaiety of a child and the shyness of a young girl, but her graceful dignity, which in her home distinguished her from her young friends, abroad restrained the exuberant throng. 
it was as though she reigned by her mere presence over her companions and the public thus passed the first years of madame Recamier's marriage between poetical occupations childish sports at home and short and brilliant appearances in the world interrupting the narrative of the author of adolphe i will say that in this society following upon the terror everybody feared to have the air of possessing a home people met in the public places especially in the pavillon de Honorve. when i saw that pavilion it was deserted like the hall of a yesterday's feast or like a stage from which the actors had descended for ever there were wont to come together young women escaped from prison whom andre chenier had made to say je ne veux point mourir encore madame recamier had met danton on his road to execution and soon after she saw some of the fair victims snatched from men who had themselves become victims of their own fury i come back to my guide benjamin constant madame recamier's mind had need of another food the instinct for the beautiful caused her to delight beforehand without knowing them in men distinguished by a reputation for talent and genius Monsieur de la harpe was one of the first to appreciate this woman who was destined one day to group around herself all the celebrities of her age he had met her in her childhood he saw her again married and the conversation of this young person of sixteen years possessed a thousand attractions for a man whom his excessive self-esteem and the habit of intercourse with the most intelligent men in france rendered extremely difficult and hard to please Monsieur de la Harpe divested himself in the presence of madame recamier of most of the defects which made commerce with him laborious and almost insupportable he took pleasure in acting as her guide he admired the swiftness with which her mind made good her want of experience and grasped all that he revealed to her concerning the world and mankind it was at the time of the famous conversion which so many people have qualified as hypocrisy i have always regarded that conversion as sincere the sentiment of religion is an inherent faculty in man it is absurd to pretend that fraud and falsehood have created that faculty nothing is put into the human soul except what nature has put there the persecutions the abuses of authority in favour of certain dogmas can delude us personally and revolt us against what we should feel if it were not imposed upon us but so soon as the external causes have ceased we return to our primitive tendency when there is no more courage in resisting we no longer applaud ourselves for our resistance now the revolution having taken this merit from unbelief the men whom vanity alone had rendered unbelieving were able to become religious in good faith Monsieur de la harpe was of that number but he retained his intolerant character and that bitterness of disposition which made him conceive new hatreds without abjuring the old ones all those thorns of his devotion disappeared however when he was with madame recamier here are a few fragments of the letters from Monsieur de la harpe to madame recamier of which benjamin constant speaks saturday twenty eighth september what madame you carry your kindness so far as to wish to honour a poor outlaw like myself with a visit this time i might say like the ancient patriarchs whom i resemble so little otherwise that an angel has come into my house i well know that you like to do works of mercy but as things go nowadays all good is difficult and this like the rest i must inform you to my great regret that to come alone is first of all impossible for many reasons among others that with your youth and your face the splendour of which will follow you everywhere you could not travel without a waiting-maid to whom prudence forbids me to confide the secret of my retreat which is not mine alone you would therefore have only one means of carrying out your generous resolution which would be to take counsel with little sylvan castle and from there it would be very easy for you to come with her you are both made to appreciate and love one another i am writing many verses at this moment in writing them i often reflect that i shall one day be able to read them to the fair and charming juliet whose mind is as penetrating as her glance and her taste as pure as her soul i would also willingly send you the fragment of adonis which you like although it has become a little profane for me but i would want a promise that it shall not leave your hands farewell madame i indulge with you in ideas which any one but yourself would think very extraordinary addressed to a person of sixteen years but i know that your sixteen years are only in your face saturday it is long indeed madame since i had the pleasure of talking with you and if you be sure as you must be that this is one of my privations you will make me no reproaches you have read in my soul you have seen there that i wore in it the mourning for the public misfortunes and for my own faults and i could not but feel that this sad disposition formed too strong a contrast with all the brilliancy that encompasses your age and your charms i even fear lest it should sometimes have made itself felt in the few moments which i have been permitted to spend with you 
and I entreat your indulgence, therefore. But now, madame, when Providence seems to show us a better future very near at hand, to whom could I better than to yourself confide the joy which I derive from hope so sweet, and to my belief so near? Who will fill a greater place than you in the private pleasures which will be mingled with the public joy? I shall then be more susceptible and less unworthy of the delights of your charming company, and how happy I shall deem myself still to count for something in it. If you deign to attach the same value to the fruit of my labour, you shall always be the first to whom I shall hasten to present it. Then, no more contradictions nor obstacles. You shall always find me at your orders, and none, I hope, will be able to blame me for this preference. I shall say, here is she who, at the age of illusions, and with all the brilliant advantages that can excuse them, has known all the nobility and delicacy of proceedings of the purest friendship, and, in the midst of every homage, has remembered an outlaw. I shall say, here is she whose youth and grace I have seen grow amid a general corruption which was never able to overtake them, she whose reason at sixteen years has often put mine to shame, and I am sure that none will be tempted to contradict me. The sadness of events, of age and of religion, hidden under a melting expression, present in these letters a singular admixture of thought and style. Let us return once more to Benjamin Constant's narrative. We come to the time when Madame Recamier saw herself for the first time, the object of a strong and regular passion. Till then she had received unanimous worship from all who had met her, but her manner of life nowhere offered centres of union where one could be sure of finding her. She never received at home, and she had not yet formed a society where one could penetrate every day to see her and try to please her. In the summer of 1799, Madame Recamier came to live at the Chateau de Clichy, a quarter of a league from Paris. A man since celebrated through different sorts of pretensions, and even more celebrated through the advantages which he has refused, than through the successes which he has won, Lucien Bonaparte obtained an introduction to her. He had not till then aspired to any save facile conquests, and, to obtain these, had studied only the romancing methods which his want of knowledge of the world represented to him as infallible. It is possible that he was enticed at first by the idea of captivating the loveliest woman of his time. Young, the leader of a party in the Council of the Five Hundred, the brother of the first general of the age, he was gratified at uniting the triumphs of a statesman and the successes of a lover in his person. He conceived the idea of having recourse to a fiction to declare his love to Madame Recamier. He imagined a letter from Romeo to Juliet, and sent it as a work of his to her who bore the same name. Here is this letter from Lucien, known to Benjamin Constant, in the midst of the revolutions which have stirred the world of reality. It is racy to see a Bonaparte plunge into the world of fictions. Letter from Romeo to Juliet by the author of the Tribute Indien. Venice, 29th July. Romeo writes to you, Juliet, if you refuse to read me, you will be crueller than our parents whose long strife has at last been appeased. No doubt that horrid strife will not revive. A few days since, I knew you only by repute. I had sometimes seen you in the temples and at feasts. I knew you were the most beautiful. A thousand lips repeated your praises, and your charms had struck but not dazzled me. Why has peace delivered me to your empire? Peace, it reigns in our families, but trouble reigns in my heart. Recall to yourself the day when I was first presented to you. We were celebrating at a large banquet the reconciliation of our fathers. I had come from the Senate, where the troubles raised against the Republic had created a lively impression. You arrived, then all flocked round. How lovely she is, they cried. The throng in the evening filled the gardens of Bedmar. Importunate people who are everywhere took possession of me. This time I had neither patience with them nor affability. They kept me from you. I wished to account for the emotion that was overcoming me. I knew love and wished to master it. I was carried away, and with you left the festive spot. I have seen you since. Love has seemed to smile upon me. One day, seated at the water's edge, motionless and pensive, you were stripping a rose of its leaves. Alone with you I spoke. I heard a sigh. Vain illusion. Recovering from my mistake, I saw indifference with its placid brow seated between us two. The passion which masters me found utterance in my discourse, and yours bore the amiable and cruel impress of childhood and pleasantry. Each day I would wish to see you as though the dart were not fixed deep enough in my heart. The moments at which I see you are very rare, and those young Venetians who surround you and talk insipid gallantry to you are hateful to me. How is it possible to talk to Juliet as to other women? I have wanted to write to you, you will know me, you will no longer refuse to believe me, my soul is ill at ease, it thirsts for sentiment. 
if love has not stirred yours if romeo in your eyes is but an ordinary man oh i conjure you by the bonds which you have laid upon me be severe with me from kindness do not smile to me again do not speak to me again thrust me far from you tell me to go away and if i can execute that rigorous order remember at least that romeo will ever love you that none has ever reigned over him as juliet has and that he can no longer cease to live for her at least in remembrance for a sober-minded man all this is rather laughable the bonapartes used to live on theatres novels and verses is the life of napoleon himself aught else than a poem benjamin constant continues while commenting upon this letter the style of this letter is evidently imitated from all the novels that have depicted the passions from werther to the nouvelle eloise madame recamier easily discovered from several circumstances of detail that she herself was the object of the declaration offered as though simply for her perusal she was not sufficiently accustomed to the language of love to be warned by experience that everything in the expressions was perhaps not sincere but a true and sure instinct warned her she replied with simplicity and even gaiety and showed much more indifference than disquietude or fear it needed no more for lucien really to experience the passion which she had at first somewhat exaggerated lucien's letters grew truer more eloquent in proportion as he grew more impassioned certainly they always show the ambition for ornamentation the desire to attitudinize he cannot go to sleep without flinging himself into the arms of morpheus in the midst of his despair he describes himself as surrendered to the great occupations which surround him he is astonished that a man like him sheds tears but in all this alloy of declamation and phrases there is nevertheless eloquence sensibility and grief at last in a letter full of passion in which he wrote to madame recamier i cannot hate you but i can kill myself he suddenly makes a general reflection i am forgetting that love is not snatched but one and then adds after receiving your note i received many of a diplomatic character i learnt some news of which public rumour has no doubt informed you congratulations surround deafened me people talk to me of what is not you then another exclamation how weak is nature compared to love and yet this news which found lucien unconcerned was an immense piece of news bonaparte's disembarkation on his return from egypt a new destiny had landed with its promises and its threats the eighteenth brumaire was not more than three weeks distant barely escaped from the dangers of that day which will always fill so great a place in history lucien wrote to madame recamier i have seen your image you will have had my last thought madame recamier contracted a friendship which became daily more intimate and which still endures with a woman who was illustrious in a very different way from that in which monsieur de la harpe was famous Monsieur Necker, having been struck off the list of emigrants, charged Madame de Stael, his daughter, to sell a house which he had. Madame Recamier bought it, and this was an occasion for her to see Madame de Stael. The sight of this celebrated woman at first filled her with excessive timidity. The face of Madame de Stael has been very widely discussed, but a proud glance, a sweet smile, an habitual expression of kindliness, the absence of any minute affectation and of any embarrassing reserve, caressing words praises somewhat direct but seeming to escape from enthusiasm an inexhaustible variety of enthusiasm surprise attract and conciliate almost all who approach her i know no woman nor even any man who is more convinced of her own vast superiority to all the world and who makes his conviction bear less hard upon others nothing could be more engaging than the conversations of madame de stael and madame recamier the quickness of the one in expressing a thousand new thoughts the quickness of the other in grasping and perceiving them that masculine and powerful mind which disclosed all that delicate and subtle mind which understood all those revelations made by a trained genius to a youthful intelligence worthy to receive them all this formed a union which it is impossible to describe without having had the happiness to witness it oneself the friendship of madame recamier for madame de stael was strengthened by a sentiment which they both entertained filial love madame recamier was fondly attached to her mother a woman of rare merit whose health was already giving rise to fears and whose loss her daughter has never since ceased to regret madame de stael had vowed a worship to her father which his death has rendered but the more exalted always overpowering in her manner of expressing herself she becomes still more so above all when speaking of him her earnest voice her eyes ready to grow wet with tears the sincerity of her enthusiasm moved the soul of even those who did not share her opinion of that celebrated man ridicule has frequently been cast on the praises which she has awarded him in her writings but when you have heard her on that subject it is not possible to make it an object of mockery for nothing that is true is ridiculous 
the letters of corinne to her friend madame recamier began at the period here recalled by benjamin constant they have a charm which is almost akin to love i will set forth a few coppet ninth september do you recollect fair juliet a person whom you loaded with marks of interest last winter and who is bold enough to invite you to do twice as much in the winter to come how do you govern the empire of beauty one awards it you with pleasure that empire because you are eminently good and it seems natural that so gentle a soul should have a charming face to express it of all your admirers you know that i prefer adrien de montmorency i have received letters from him remarkable for wit and grace and i believe in the solidity of his affections notwithstanding the charm of his manners for the rest that word solidity suits me who claim to play but a very secondary part in his heart but you who are the heroine of every sentiment are exposed to the great events out of which tragedies and novels are made mine is progressing at the foot of the alps i hope you will read it with interest i like this occupation amid all those successes what you are and what you will remain is an angel of purity and beauty and you will have the worship of the devout as well as of the worldly have you seen the author of atala again are you still a cliche in short i ask for details of yourself i love to know what you are doing to represent to myself the places in which you dwell is not all a picture in the memories which one retains of you i add to this natural enthusiasm for your rare advantages a great inclination for your company pray accept kindly all that i offer you and promise me that we shall meet often in the coming winter coppet thirtieth april do you know fair juliet that my friends have been flattering me somewhat with the notion that you might come here could you not give me that great pleasure it is some time since happiness spoilt me and your arrival would be a return of luck and would give me hopes for all that i desire adrienne and mathias say they will come if you came with them a month's stay here would serve to show you our splendid nature my father says that you ought to choose coppet for your residence and that we should make our excursions from there my father is very eager in his desire to see you you know what they said of homer par la voix des vieillards tu louais la beauté and independently of that beauty you are charming during the short peace of amiens madame recamier took a journey to london with her mother she had letters of introduction from the old duc de guine who had been ambassador to england thirty years before he had kept up a correspondence with the most brilliant women of the time the duchess of devonshire lady melbourne the marchioness of salisbury the margravine of ansbach with whom he had been in love his embassy was still celebrated his memory green among those respectable ladies such is the power of novelty in england that on the morning after her arrival the newspapers were full of the foreign beauty madame recamier received visits from nearly all the persons to whom she had sent letters among these persons the most remarkable was the duchess of devonshire then between forty-five and fifty years of age she was still in vogue and beautiful although she had lost one eye which she concealed behind a lock of her hair the first time that madame recamier appeared in public it was in her company the duchess took her to the opera in her box in which were the prince of wales the duc d'orleans and his brothers the duc de montpensier and the comte de beaujolais the first two were to become kings one was on the verge of the throne the other was still separated from it by an abyss eyes and opera glasses were turned on the duchess box the prince of wales said to madame recamier that if she did not want to be suffocated she must leave before the end of the performance scarcely was she on her feet before the doors of the boxes opened precipitously she escaped nothing and was carried by the tide of the crowd to her carriage the next day madame recamier went to kensington gardens accompanied by the marquis of douglas later duke of hamilton who has since received charles x at holyrood and by his sister the duchess of somerset the crowd flung itself on the fair foreigner's footsteps this effect was repeated each time she showed herself in public the newspapers resounded with her name her portrait engraved by bartolozzi was spread broadcast through england the author of antigone Monsieur ballange adds that ships carried it as far as the isles of greece beauty returned to the spots where its image had been invented we have a sketch of madame recamier by david a full-length portrait by gerard a bust by canova the portrait is gerard's masterpiece but it does not please me because i recognize the model's features in it without recognizing the expression on the eve of madame recamier's departure the prince of wales and the duchess of devonshire asked leave to call on her and to bring with them some persons of their society music was performed together with the chevalier marin the first harper of the time she played variations on a theme by mozart 
this evening was mentioned in the public press as a concert which the beautiful foreigner had given on leaving to the prince of wales the next day she set sail for the hague and took three days to make a crossing of sixteen hours she has told me that during those days dashed with storms she read the genie du christianisme straight through i was revealed to her to use her kind expression i recognize in this the good will which the winds and the sea have always had for me near the hague she visited the country house of the prince of orange the prince having made her promise to go to see that residence wrote her several letters in which he speaks of his reverses and of his hope to conquer them william i has in fact become a monarch at that time one intrigued to become king as nowadays to become a deputy and those candidates for the sovereignty used to throng round the feet of madame recamier as though she had crowns in her gift the following note from bernadotte who reigns to-day over sweden ended madame recamier's journey to england the english papers while calming my apprehensions for your health have informed me of the dangers to which you have been exposed i at first blamed the people of london for their too great assiduity but i confess to you i soon excuse them for i am an interested party when it is necessary to justify persons who become indiscreet in order to admire the charms of your celestial countenance amid the lustre which surrounds you and which you deserve by such manifold rights deign sometimes to remember that the being most devoted to you in nature is bernadotte madame de stael threatened with exile attempted to settle down at mafflier a country place eight leagues from paris she accepted the proposal made to her by madame recamier on her return from england to spend a few days with her at saint brice afterwards she went back to her first refuge she relates what happened then in the disannee d'exil i was at table she says with three of my friends in a room from which one saw the high road and the entrance door it was at the end of september at four o'clock a man in grey on horseback stopped and rang i was sure of my fate he asked for me i received him in the garden as i went towards him i was struck by the scent of the flowers and the beauty of the sun the sensations that come to us through the combinations of society are so different from those of nature the man told me that he was the commandant of the versailles gendarmerie he showed me a letter signed by bonaparte which contained the order to remove me to forty leagues from paris with an injunction to make me leave within twenty-four hours while treating me however with all the consideration due to a woman whose name was known i replied to the officer of gendarme that to set out within twenty-four hours might suit conscripts but not a woman and children consequently i proposed that he should accompany me to paris where i had need of three days to make the necessary arrangements for my journey i therefore got into my carriage with my children and this officer who had been selected as being the most literary of the gendarmes in fact he paid me compliments on my writings you see monsieur i said to him what comes of being an intellectual woman i beg you dissuade the members of your family from it if you have occasion to do so i tried to rouse myself with pride but i felt the clutching at my heart i stopped for a few moments at madame recamier's i there found general junot who out of devotion for her promised to go the next day to speak to the first consul he did so in fact with the greatest warmth on the eve of the last day given me joseph bonaparte made yet one attempt i was obliged to await the answer in an inn at two leagues from paris not daring to return to my own home in town a day passed without the answer reaching me not wishing to attract attention by remaining longer at the inn where i was i made the circuit of the walls of paris to go to look for another also at two leagues from paris but on a different road this wandering life at four steps from my friends and my home caused me a grief which i cannot recall without shuddering madame de stael instead of returning to coppet set out on her first journey to germany at that time she wrote me the letter on the death of madame de beaumont which i quoted when writing of my first journey to rome madame recamier gathered round her in paris all that was most distinguished in the oppressed parties and in the opinions which had not yielded to victory one saw there the lights of the old monarchy and the new empire the montmorencys the sabrans the lamoignons generals massena moreau and bernadotte one destined for exile another for the throne illustrious foreigners also visited there the prince of orange the prince of bavaria the brother of the queen of prussia surrounded her just as in london the prince of wales was proud to carry her shawl so irresistible was the attraction that eugene de beauharnais and the empress very ministers went to these assemblies bonaparte could not suffer success even when it was a woman's he used to say since how long has the council been held at madame recamier's i now return to benjamin constant for a long time bonaparte who had seized upon the government had been progressing towards tyranny the most opposite parties became incensed against him and while the bulk of the citizens were still allowing themselves to be enervated by the tranquillity which was promised them 
The Republicans and the Royalists desired an inversion. Monsieur de Montmorency belonged to the latter by his birth, his connections, and his opinions. Madame Récamier cared for politics only through her generous interest in the vanquished of all parties. The independence of her character made her averse to the court of Napoleon, of which she had refused to form part. Monsieur de Montmorency conceived the idea of confiding his hopes to her, painted the restoration of the Bourbons to her in colours calculated to arouse her enthusiasm, and charged her to bring together two men at that time of importance in France, Moreau and Bernadotte, to see if they could unite against Bonaparte. She was intimately acquainted with Bernadotte, who has since become Prince Royal of Sweden. Something chivalrous in his appearance, something noble in his manners, something very subtle in his intelligence, something declamatory in his conversation, make him a remarkable man. Courageous in battle, bold in speech, but timid in actions which are not military, irresolute in all his designs. He has one thing which makes him very seductive at first sight, but which, at the same time, places an obstacle to any combination of plans with him, and that is a habit of haranguing, a relic of his revolutionary education, which does not leave him. He sometimes has movements of real eloquence. He knows it. He loves this kind of success, and, when he has entered upon the development of some general idea, connected with what he has heard in the clubs or the rostrum, he loses sight of all that occupies him, and is no longer anything but an impassioned orator. That is what he appeared in France during the early years of the reign of Bonaparte, whom he always hated, and by whom he was suspected, and that again is what he has shown himself in these later days, amid the disorder of Europe, of which, nevertheless, we owe the liberation to him, because he reassured the foreigners by showing them a Frenchman ready to march against the tyrant of France, and knowing how to say only such things as could have an influence for his nation's good. Anything that offers a woman the means of exercising power is always agreeable to her. Moreover, in the idea of rousing against the despotism of Bonaparte, men important through their dignities and their glory, there was something generous and noble which was bound to tempt Madame Récamier. She therefore lent herself to Monsieur de Montmorency's wishes. She often threw Bernadotte and Moreau together at her house. Moreau wavered, Bernadotte spouted. Madame Récamier took Moreau's indecisive speeches for a commencement of resolution, and Bernadotte's harangues as a signal for the overthrow of tyranny. The two generals on their side were enraptured to see their discontent pampered by so much beauty, wit, and grace. There was in fact something romantic and poetic in that young and bewitching woman who talked to them of the liberty of their country. Bernadotte never ceased repeating to Madame Récamier that she was made to electrify the world and create fanatics. While noting the delicacy of this portraiture by Benjamin Constant, it must be said that Madame Récamier would never have entered into political interests but for the irritation which she felt at the banishment of Madame de Stael. The future King of Sweden had a list of the generals who still held with the party of independence, but Moreau's name was not on it. It was the only one fit to be opposed to Napoleon's. Only Bernadotte did not know what manner of man the Bonaparte was whose power he was attacking. Madame Moreau gave a ball. All Europe was there, excepting France, which was represented only by the Republican opposition. In the course of this entertainment, General Bernadotte led Madame Récamier to a little drawing-room, where only the sound of the music followed them to remind them where they were. Moreau passed into this drawing-room. Bernadotte said to him, after long explanations, You have a popular name. You are the only one of us who can put himself forward with the support of the people. See what you can do, what we can do under your leadership. Moreau repeated what he had often said before, that he felt the danger with which liberty was threatened, that they must watch Bonaparte but that he feared civil war. This conversation was prolonged and became animated. Bernadotte lost his temper and said to General Moreau, You do not dare to take up the cause of liberty. Well then, Bonaparte will make sport of liberty, and you. It will perish in spite of our efforts, and as for you, you will be involved in its ruin without having fought. Prophetic Words Madame Récamier's mother was intimately acquainted with Madame Hulot, the mother of Madame Moreau and Madame Récamier had contracted with the latter one of those childish friendships which it is a pleasure to continue in after life. During General Moreau's trial, Madame Récamier spent all her time with Madame Moreau. The latter told her friend that her husband complained that he had not yet seen her among the public which filled the court and the bench. Madame Récamier arranged to be present at the sitting on the day after this conversation. One of the judges, Monsieur Briat Savarin, undertook to pass her in through a private door, which opened on to the amphitheatre of the court. She raised her veil on entering, and cast a glance over the rows of prisoners, in order to find Moreau. He recognised her, rose and bowed. All eyes were turned in her direction. 
she hastened to descend the step of the amphitheatre to reach the place intended for her the prisoners were forty-seven in number they filled the benches placed opposite the judges of the court each prisoner was placed between two gendarmes the soldiers treated general moreau with deference and respect messieurs de polignac and de riviere attracted attention but especially georges cadoudal pichegu whose name will remain associated with that of moreau was missing from his side or rather one seemed to see his shadow there for it was known that he was also missing from prison there was no more question of republicans it was royalist loyalty fighting against the new power nevertheless this cause of the legitimacy and of its high-born partisans had as its leader a man of the people georges cadoudal one saw him there with the thought that that so pious and so fearless head was about to fall on the scaffold that he cadoudal alone perhaps would not be saved for he would do nothing to be saved he defended only his friends as for what concerned him in particular he told all bonaparte was not so generous as people supposed eleven persons devoted to georges perished with him moreau did not speak at the end of the sitting the judge who had brought madame Ricamier came to take her away she crossed the bar at the opposite side to that by which she had entered and passed by the bench of the prisoners moreau came down followed by his two gendarmes he was separated from her only by a handrail he addressed a few words to her which in her startled condition she did not hear she tried to reply her voice broke to-day when the times are changed and when bonaparte's name alone seems to fill them we do not conceive how small a hold his power as he had had on the night preceding the sentence during which the court sat all paris was on foot floods of people went towards the palace of justice georges wanted no mercy he replied to them who wished to ask it for him do you promise me a finer occasion of death moreau condemned to transportation set out for cadiz whence he was to cross to america madame moreau went to join him madame Ricamier was with her at her departure she saw her kiss her son in his cradle and saw her turn back again to kiss him a second time she took her to her carriage and received her last farewell general moreau wrote the following letter from cadiz to his generous friend chiclana near cadiz twelfth october eighteen o four madame you will no doubt be pleased to hear news of two fugitives in whom you have shown so much interest after going through all sorts of fatigues by land and sea we were hoping to rest at cadiz when the yellow fever which in some way may be compared to the ills we had recently undergone came to besiege us in that town although my wife's confinement obliged us to remain there for more than a month during the sickness we were lucky enough to escape infection only one of our servants caught it at last we are at chiclana a very pretty village at a few leagues from cadiz enjoying good health and my wife quite convalescent after giving me a very healthy daughter she is persuaded that you take as great an interest in this event as in all that has happened to us and she asked me to acquaint you with it and to send you her kind remembrances i say nothing of the kind of life which we lead it is excessively tedious and monotonous but at least we breathe at liberty although in the land of the inquisition i beg you madame to receive the assurance of my respectful attachment and to believe me ever your most humble and most obedient servant v moreau this letter is dated from chiclana a spot which together with glory seemed to promise an assured reign to monsieur le duc d'angouleme and yet he appeared on that coast only with as fatal a result as moreau who has been believed devoted to the bourbons moreau in the depths of his soul was devoted to liberty when he had the misfortune to join the coalition the question in his eyes was solely that of contending against the despotism of bonaparte louis the eighteenth said to m de montmorency who was deploring the death of moreau as a great loss to the crown not so great moreau was a republican the general returned to europe only to find the cannonball on which his name was engraved by the finger of god moreau recalls to my mind another illustrious captain massena the latter was going to the army of italy he asked madame Ricamier for a white ribbon from the trimming of her dress one day she received this note in Massena's hand. The charming ribbon given him by Madame Ricamier was worn by General Massena in the battles and the blockade of Genoa. It never left the general and constantly promoted his victory. The old manners peep out through the new manners of which they form the groundwork. The gallantry of the knight of gentle birth appeared again in the plebeian soldier. The memory of the tournaments and crusades lay hidden in the feats of arms with which modern France has crowned her ancient victories. Sisha, the companion of Charlemagne, did not deck himself in the fight with his lady's colours. He carried, says the monk of St. Gaul, 
seven, eight, or even nine enemies strung on his lance. Sichet went before, and Massena came after chivalry. Madame de Stael, in Berlin, heard of her father's illness. She hurried back, but Monsieur Necker was dead before she reached Switzerland. At that time happened Monsieur Camier's ruin. Madame de Stael was soon informed of this unfortunate event. She at once wrote to Madame Ricamier, her friend, Geneva, 17th November. Ah, my dear Juliette, what pain have I felt at the shocking news that reaches me? How I curse the exile which does not permit me to be with you, to press you to my heart. You have lost all that has to do with the ease and comfort of life. But if it were possible to be more loved, more interesting than you are, that is what would have happened to you. I am going to write to Monsieur Ricamier, whom I pity and respect. But tell me, would it be a dream to hope to see you here this winter? If you were willing, three months spent here, in a narrow circle, where you would be passionately cared for, but in Paris also you inspire that feeling. At any rate, I will come to see you at Lyon, or anywhere outside my forty leagues, to embrace you, to tell you that I felt more tenderness for you than for any woman I have ever known. I can say nothing to you by way of consolation, unless it be that you will be loved and valued more than ever, and that the admirable features of your generosity and benevolence will be known, in spite of yourself, through this misfortune, as they never would have been without it. Certainly, to compare your situation with what it was, you have lost. But if it were possible for me to envy what I love, I would give all that I am to be you, a beauty unmatched in Europe, a stainless reputation, a proud and generous character. What a fortune of happiness that remains in this sad life, through which we go so naked. Dear Juliet, let our friendship draw closer. Let it consist not only of generous services, which have all come from you, but of a sustained correspondence, a reciprocal desire to confide our thoughts in one another, a life together. Dear Juliet, you shall make me come back to Paris, for you are still an all-powerful person, and we shall see each other every day, and, as you are younger than I, you shall close my eyes, and my children shall be your friends. My daughter cried this morning at my tears and yours. Dear Juliet, we both enjoyed the luxury that surrounded you. Your fortune was ours, and I feel myself ruined because you are no longer rich. Believe me, some happiness remains when one has made herself loved thus. Benjamin wants to write to you. He is much upset. Mathieu de Montmorency has written me a very touching letter about you. Dear friend, may your heart remain calm amid so many sorrows. Alas, neither the death nor the indifference of your friends threaten you, and those are the eternal wounds. Adieu, dear angel, adieu. Respectfully I kiss your charming face. Madame Ricamier now became the object of a new interest. She left society without complaining, and seemed as much made for solitude as for the world. Her friends remained to her, and this time, Monsieur Ballange has said, fortune withdrew alone. Madame de Stael drew her friend to Coppet. Prince Augustus of Prussia, captured at the Battle of Eylau, passed through Geneva on his way to Italy. He fell in love with Madame Ricamier. The intimate and private life that belongs to every man continued its course beneath the general life, the blood of battles and the transformation of empires. The rich man on waking beholds his gilded panellings, the poor man his smoky rafters. There is but one sun-ray to give light to both. Prince Augustus, believing that Madame Ricamier might consent to a divorce, proposed to her in marriage. A record of this passion remains in the picture of Corinne, which the prince obtained from Gerard. He made a present of it to Madame Ricamier, as an undying reminder of the feeling with which she had inspired him, and of the intimate friendship which united Corinne and Juliet. The summer was spent in merry-making, the world was upset, but it happens that the echo of public catastrophes, mingling with the joys of youth, redoubles their charm. We surrender ourselves the more eagerly to pleasures, the nearer we feel to losing them. Madame de Genlis has made a novel out of this attachment of Prince Augustus. I found her one day in the throes of composition. She was living at the arsenal, surrounded by dusty books, in a gloomy apartment. She expected nobody. She was dressed in a black gown. Her white hair obscured her face. She held a harp between her knees, and her head was sunk upon her breast. Hanging on to the strings of the instrument, she allowed her pale and emaciated hands to wander on either side of the sonorous wirework, from which she drew feeble sounds, resembling the distant and undefinable voices of death. What was the ancient Sibyl singing? She was singing Madame Ricamier. She had at first hated her, but had later been conquered by beauty and distress. Madame de Genlis had just finished this page on Madame Ricamier, giving her the name of Athenaise. The prince entered the drawing-room, with Madame de Stael showing him the way. Suddenly the door half opened, and Athenaise advanced. By the elegance of her figure, 
by the dazzling brilliancy of her features the prince could not fail to recognize her but he had formed a quite different idea of her he had represented this woman to himself as famous for her beauty as proud of her successes with an assumed bearing and the kind of confidence which that sort of celebrity only too often gives and he saw a timid young person step forward with embarrassment and blush as she appeared the sweetest sentiment mingled with his surprise after dinner they did not go out because of the excessive heat they went down into the gallery to make music until the time came to take the air after a few brilliant chords and harmonious sounds of entrancing sweetness athenais sang to her own accompaniment on the harp the prince listened to her with rapture and when she had finished looked at her with inexpressible commotion exclaiming and such talents madame de Stael, in her maturity loved madame Ricamier. madame de genlis in her decrepitude found back for her the accents of her youth the author of mademoiselle de clermont lays the scene of her novel at coppet with the author of corinne a rival whom she detested that was one wonder another wonder is to see me writing these details i am turning over letters which remind me of times in which i lived solitary and unknown there was happiness without me on the shores of coppet which i have not seen since without a certain movement of envy the things which have escaped me on earth which have fled from me which i regret would kill me were i not so near my tomb but at this short distance from eternal oblivion truths and dreams are equally vain at the end of one's life all is time lost madame de Stael set out a second time for germany here begins again a series of letters to madame Ricamier, perhaps even more charming than the first there is nothing in madame de Stael's printed works which approaches this naturalness this eloquence in which imagination lends its expression to the feelings the virtue of madame Ricamier's friendship must have been great since it was able to make a woman of genius produce what was hidden and as yet unrevealed in her talent we divine moreover in the sad accent of madame de Stael a secret displeasure of which the beauty would naturally be the confidant she who could never receive like wounds end of book eleven part one